uh, Mark 9, verses 42 through 50. I encourage you to open your Bible so you can follow along as I read the passage, but also uh, it's a passage you're going to want to look at as, uh, as I talk about it. So Mark 9, starting with verse 42. We are people who are always looking for a better way to do something. If you think about it, there are probably multiple times during a day when you think about how you could do something more effectively or think about a way you could tweak something to make it better. When we have to go somewhere, we think about the most logical route to take or the fastest way to go, sometimes arguing with those who are in the car with us. When we cook, we think about what gadget would be better for us to use. When we have to repair something, we consider how should we start the project, what are the pros and cons of doing it different ways, and think about it. There are whole businesses now created to helping you find the most delicious restaurants to eat in, the greatest savings on a hotel, or which car would be best for your lifestyle. Where would we be without Consumer Reports, Expedia, or Yelp? It used to be that we had to take our chances on where to go and use word of mouth for what products to buy. But we're also people who seek counsel about a better way to do something. We ask one another, oh, should I confront that person in my life or should I just let it slide? How did you decide where to send your kid to school? Sometimes we ask people about something we already did. And when someone says to me, well, it might have been better if you would have done it this way, I'm either embarrassed or relieved for some new insight I have found. We often uh, do something better in our lives, and people are always happy to tell us what that should be. The question of what is better applies to everything, even our souls. When it comes to our spiritual lives, we can be relatively open or very closed, depending on the topic and also the person that we're talking to. Jesus came to teach us how to navigate God's world, telling us how to best relate to one another and to him. And unlike those who simply have opinions, Jesus speaks with authority of being the creator and savior. His teaching shows us we should listen and figure out how we should respond The teaching we have come to in the book of Mark today is challenging. Speaking sternly, Jesus is emphasizing the need for his followers to pay attention to the areas of their lives that caused them to fall. While the choices he gives are exaggerated, his intent comes through quite clearly. He uses stark language that make us cringe a little bit as we read it. But Jesus has our attention. He is telling us what is the better choice, allowing us to see what to value in case we don't know or we haven't been listening. So hear the word of the Lord from Mark 9, starting at verse 42. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. 
It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Let's pray. Oh God, we pray that you would give illumination to our hearts and minds to the power of your spirit through your word given today. Amen. Chapter 9, as we have seen, is full of activity. As we think about the verses here, we want to remember that today's teaching comes out of what has been happening already with the disciples in this chapter. When they argued about who was best among them, Jesus told them if they wanted to be great, they needed to serve. When they wanted Jesus to tell a man to stop healing because they weren't part of their group, the Lord tells them his influence is bigger than they think. The words we look at today shows Jesus putting up a mirror to his followers so they can see their attitudes and their behaviors with his eyes. They're worried about their status and alleged competition while Jesus wants them to consider how they themselves might be hindering his work. Since Peter has proclaimed that Jesus is the Messiah, the focus is on preparing the disciples for the future. So in this passage, we want to look at four things that Jesus is saying. These are difficult words for us to sort through. We wonder if he's being hyperbolic. Yet Jesus tells us what would be better. And so we have to stop and listen and think about what he's really saying. This is the Lord talking about judgment and commanding those who believe in him the better way. The first takeaway from this passage is, again, how Jesus elevates the least among them. Remember when Jesus was talking to the disciples about who was the greatest? He had a child come and sit in the middle of them, and he put his arms around the child, and he said, you need to become like one of these. In verse 42, it reads like the child is still there with them. And Jesus is telling them, whoever causes a child to lose trust in him will have great consequences. Basically, Jesus says it would be better for that person to not exist. These are strong words of judgment, words that show how important young ones are to the Lord, how he commands for them to be treated well for his sake. Children have a simple faith. They are sincere and hilarious and trusting and forthright, but because they are also dependent, the Lord has entrusted those who are grown to care for them, to nurture and raise them up unto him. To somehow cause them to not know God or to lose their faith is very serious. Jesus' example of the millstone around the neck portrays he will fight for them. And that there are consequences for harming them. A large millstone was used for grinding grain. The community ones were so big it needed an animal that had to be drawn around so that the grain could be ground. And we know from historians the punishment that Jesus is describing was actually done in the Roman Empire as a means of execution. Many scholars say this scripture can be about children, but it can also be about those who are new to the Christian faith. Either way, the idea is the same. And as we sit and we sit with these words, we wonder, well, what is a stumbling block? What does that mean? 
how do we who are further along in life or in the faith cause those who are younger to walk away from the Lord? I don't think that we have to think very hard about this. Treating them harshly, using them for our gain, neglecting them, behaving selfishly, rejecting them, not protecting them, being hypocritical in our lives living without regard for God, inviting them into a life where there is no morality, in essence, breaking trust. Because those who are young and young in the faith look to those who are mature to teach them to live. And we who are older have to remember we represent the Lord to those who are growing. We always have to pay attention to the young because they need our nurturing so they will know that God is good and that he loves them dearly. Jesus is saying we have to do everything we can to love those who need us the most because he has entrusted them to us. This is one of the reasons this congregation began Cliff Drive Care Center in 1963 so we could pour out the love of Jesus to these children and to families, some of whom don't know him at all. So we could do that every day. It's our intention to show every child who comes here how precious and special they are just because God created them, to teach them to know him in a very early young age so that when they go from this place, they'll remember at some point that God loves them and that they can trust him. The second takeaway from this passage is how serious sin is to the Lord. He continues to deliberately use strong words to show how it must be avoided no matter what. He basically is giving wisdom that is timeless and widely accepted, that sometimes there has to be sacrifice in order for the greater good to flourish. Elsewhere, Jesus refers to gaining the kingdom of God. And he says, the kingdom of God is like the pearl of great price. And you go out and you sell everything you have so that you can have that one pearl. So that you can know God. This is a similar teaching. Jesus shows how serious sin is by saying, we should cut off the part of us that cause us to stumble. We understand he's speaking metaphorically. Because mutilation is not allowed in the Old Testament, and also, if this were a practice we should all do, none of us would be here. (laughs) But Jesus is giving a no-tolerance policy for doing wrong. He is saying we should cut it out of our lives, do away with anything that may lead us where he doesn't want us to go. But that isn't how most of us deal with our weaknesses. We're fine, thank you very much for the input, but we can manage our sin. The Lord who knows our frailty is giving us a higher standard than we may want for ourselves. The world says that sin is not a big deal and that worrying about it is an archaic idea found in a book that nobody reads. But this is not an obscure saying. This is the Lord himself telling us what is true. He says it's better to cut off a part of who we are and go through life that way for the promise of what lies in the future. Origen, a very early Christian scholar and theologian from Alexandria, taught that it may be necessary to cut out a habit, to abandon some pleasure, 
to give up some friendship, to get rid of something which has become an integral part of our lives in order to be obedient to the will of God. William Barclay, the more modern commentator, has a good way of looking at this. He says, from a medical point of view, sometimes doctors have to remove a body part in order to save someone's life. In the spiritual world, the same can happen. We may need to cut something out so that we can truly be alive to God. Think about what Jesus says, though. What you touch, where you walk, what you see. Are there any behaviors in these areas of your life that cause you to sin? Jesus says, remove the behavior. So then we ask ourselves, what are we touching? Where are we walking? What are we viewing? See, there's nothing in this life that is worth losing God's presence for. Can you think of anything in your life that is more important than knowing God. You see, whatever stands between us and the Lord must be ruthlessly disposed of. That's what Christ is saying. However much it has become part of our lives. And this may be a painful wrenching away. But if we are truly going to walk aright and stop stumbling around, those things must go. The third takeaway from the passage gets us into another idea that Jesus tells us what is better. He says it's better to go through life lamed and blind and lame, maimed and blind than to enter hell. He says it's better to go hobbling into the kingdom of God than to walk proudly into the darkness. So here we see that Jesus teaches that hell is real. And so many people outside and even inside the church think that that is not true. That it's a made-up place that has been constructed by humanity. But here the Lord is telling us that it's a consequence for those who have not gotten rid of their sin. The word for hell here is Gehenna, which was an actual place of unspeakable horror in the valley of Hinnom in the south of Jerusalem. In Old Testament times, it had been a scene of child sacrifice under godless kings. And King Josiah stopped that practice, and it became a garbage dump, where fires continually burned and worms fed on what was there. You see, Jesus uses the worst place they know to describe to them what the final judgment will be like. Much of the language in the New Testament speaks to the reward of following Jesus. This is a notion we are much more comfortable with. We would love to stay there. But I don't want us to turn away from what is being said. It's not just a passing mention. Jesus says it three times. He is, what he is saying is more than don't do wrong. He's emphasizing the consequences for the future. And he talks about the place of eternal fire more than a few times in the New Testament, most dramatically in Matthew 25 when he talks about the sheep and the goats. In his book, The Problem with Pain, C.S. Lewis says this, There is no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than this, if it lay in my power. But it has the full support of Scripture and especially of our Lord's own words. It has always been held by Christendom, And has the support of reason. So let's use our reason for just a minute. 
Some of us, for some of us, this is a difficult truth. And we need to learn to trust the Lord about it. Because we long for a place of pure love where there is no evil and there is no pain. But in order to have that place, we have to acknowledge that it's not possible without a corresponding place of darkness. Because the powers against the Lord are real and he will not override that freedom. And if there's no long-term consequence for sin, then why did Jesus have to die? God showed the gravity of the crushing weight of sin by choosing to suffer the evil, the evil that beat him and humiliated him and cursed him and taunted him and eventually killed him. So if there is no hell and nothing to save us from here, then why bother? If everybody gets to live how they want and everything turns out okay in the end, then there's no need for a savior. But Jesus came to save us from the consequences of living for ourselves and gave us a way then to overcome the evil that we experience. True hell is the chaos and the disorder and the complete darkness that comes when he is not present. It is a place where those who wanted nothing to do with God will have to live without him. The fourth takeaway here is short. It has to do with salt in verses 49 and 50. Some of the most difficult passages in the New Testament to translate. Some think that Jesus had some statements about salt, and so they bound them up and just put them right here. (laughs) They don't really have anything to do with anything. But we're going to find a little bit of wisdom from the salt, shall we? It seems to be about endurance in the Christian life. Jesus is calling those who intend to live for him to a life of purity. To be salted with fire could be interpreted as being cleansed from unrighteousness. There's some Old Testament reference here. Some of the sacrifices that were done for the Lord were first salted. So as we attempt to be living sacrifices, accepting, uh, acceptable to God, we're proving ourselves to be faithful. We're asking that he cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Verse 50 is similar and fa- uh, uh, familiar to us. It's a common idea. What do you do with salt when salt is no longer good to be salt? And here Jesus is saying Christians lose their unique flavor when they mix up with the world to such a degree that there's hardly any difference between them and the world. We are the ones who are set apart for him, seeking to become more like the one who died for us. And so that means that we radically love and we radically forgive. It means that we proclaim that the kingdom has come, as Pastor Nikki said last week. And if we stop doing that, how will people know that Messiah has come? Just like Warren and Leanne have said with the tabernacle, we want everyone to know that Messiah has come. And this verse in particular ties in the teachings from the last two weeks. Christians lose their saltiness when they strive to be the best and greatest and want to compete with one another. And also when they think they are the only ones who are doing the Lord's work. So in this passage, Jesus is telling us what is better. Life is made up of choices. And the Lord is truthful with us about what will happen if we don't adhere to his love. And of course, there's forgiveness and there's mercy and there's grace. And there's always the chance to make things right with those in our lives that we've hurt. Every moment of every day, we can make peace with God and even ourselves when we have stumbled 
You see, that is the better way. This is just a different way of communicating to us. So let us not be afraid of the difficult words of Jesus. Let us embrace him and ask him to help us in the places where we struggle and the places where we need his wisdom. Let us pray to the Lord. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.